Focus on Life. It's 8pm Sunday evening. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas. This is Lucas on Life. Let's face it, we're all busy. People to see, places to go, things to do. But when we rush through life, there's so much that we can miss. And Christians can live lives where we're pushed around by endless oughts, coulds, musts and shoulds. So why not put the kettle on, sit down, relax and continue to join me as we consider the call and the challenge to just slow down. I stared at the envelope and I tried to halt the rising feeling of dread that sickened my stomach. Adorning one corner of the stern brown stationery was the logo of the Surrey Constabulary. Victor Meldrew-like, I could not believe it. I'd been caught speeding yet again the hapless target of a speed camera. Now, I'm not going to make light of my crime because speeding kills people and I was guilty. Never mind that I was only four miles an hour over the limit, I was speeding. Last time it happened, I was forced to attend a speed awareness course. A sorry, ashamed-looking group shuffled into a lecture room for a three-hour event designed to show us just how devastating speed can be. I actually rather enjoyed the experience and stayed behind afterwards to thank the instructor for a good evening. He responded by looking at me as if I was quite mad. I graduated from the course, which was no great achievement because all you have to do is show up, and I vowed that I would slow down, a pledge that I clearly couldn't honour given the arrival of this latest sad brown envelope. I tend to live my life at speed. I, I eat quickly and I can't think why. Savouring the flavours of food has never been my style. I wish I could say that I was raised in a large, hungry family where if you didn't eat your chicken quickly, it would be snatched off the plate. But it's just not true. I just race through my food because I tend to race through everything. I speed read, preferring to skim over sentences rather than fully digest the words. I multitask, steam through to-do lists and fume in rush-hour traffic jams where congestion means that the one thing you can't do is rush. I get things done so that I can get on to the next thing. But there's always something else to do, somewhere else to go, some other experience that demands that whatever I'm doing, I won't be doing it for long. Lately, I've been asking myself, why the haste? Why the rush? Why not slow down? Rushing is often an unconscious habit and one that's hard to break. I dash without thinking. I don't have to actually be late, under pressure or behind schedule in order to be in a hurry. Slowing down takes conscious effort. In a world of fast food and high-speed Wi-Fi, it's easier to just go with the flow, even if the flow is a torrent rather than a trickle. And then I rush, simply because I always have. It's my default setting. I've no idea how long my mother was in labour when I came into the world, but I do know that I arrived early, very prematurely. Perhaps I took minutes rather than hours to make my appearance, and having received a slap from the midwife, I proceeded to ask when school would be starting. Then there's the subtle pressure to be busy, because being busy offers proof that we are in demand, that there are those who need us and they must get in line and take a number. Why is slowing down so hard? When I relax, I feel guilty. Going on holiday takes serious mental and emotional preparation. Suddenly finding myself without activity and the rush created by rushing, 
I can spiral down into vague depressiveness, enduring rather than enjoying those lazy days of sunshine. But as the speed awareness course demonstrated with horrifying illustrations, speed is truly devastating, and not just on the roads. I've made super swift decisions that proved to be disastrous, and many messes that could have been prevented with some pause. I've wasted too many beautiful moments because I've not been fully present in them, quickly dashing on to the next thing, thinking it would be better, which it invariably is not. Life lived like that becomes something to get through, rather than an experience to savour. If I want to become more like Jesus, then a better rhythm won't be a luxury, but a necessity. He knew how to say no. At times, he evaded the madding crowds and commanded his friends to come apart for a while, presumably so that they wouldn't fall apart. So wish me well as I make my attempt at slowing down. And perhaps you'd like to join me. We're thinking about slowing. It was an evening where it was obvious to all that my sermon was coming to a close. Not only had I uttered the words much beloved by congregations everywhere when I said, and finally, in summarising my key points, it was clear that I was preparing to land the proverbial plane. This was further confirmed by some members of the worship team ambling back on stage with a keyboard player poised to tickle the keys, final confirmation that this preacher was just about done. But it was then that I sensed heightening tension because everyone knew what was coming. It was time for the time of response. My friends in the Salvation Army have their mourner's bench, while Pentecostals in America often provide tissues for the convenience of the tearfully repentant. My listeners brace themselves for the response time. What happened was a surprise to all, including me. These response times are usually designed to seal the deal, as it were, at the end of the sermon. Those RSVP moments are quite important in many churches. The sermon lays down a challenge. The response time is the moment when the listeners pick up the metaphorical gauntlet, engage their will and decide to take action. And the actual choice of action varies. It may be a step towards giving more financially or just giving something. It might be that the responder is deciding to become a Christian or determining to pass the good news around more intentionally. They might be turning their back on a destructive pathway currently being trod. They might be making a heart choice to mend a broken relationship. But the idea is simple. Here's what God says, so what are we going to do about it? Response takes faith from cherished Sunday morning theory to Monday morning action. And these moments of response can be very, very good. My own father, hardened by the bitterness that had encrusted him during his five years as a half-starved prisoner of war, walked to the front of a church at the conclusion of a Sunday morning service because he wanted to respond and decide to follow Christ. It was wonderful, but a little bewildering too, as he walked forward without there being an actual invitation given. The minister was sharing the end-of-the-service announcements, otherwise known as the notices, so the mildly confused congregation couldn't figure out if Dad was coming home to Jesus or registering an interest in the ladies' embroidery group that meets on Tuesday mornings. It was a beautiful day, that day of response, and that evening I was preaching in another church and my parents sat up in the balcony. During my sermon, I pointed up to my dad and I said, see that man up there? 
That's my father visiting here all the way from England. This morning, he made a response to Jesus, and tonight, he's a Christian. A thousand people got up and gave him a standing ovation, celebrating his response. He smiled and waved like the queen. Whatever the reason for the response, the opportunity to decide is good. But all that said, it can get a little tiring. If you've been around Christian subculture for a while, you can start to feel worn out by the responses, especially if you're in a church where an RSVP is extended every Sunday. We can feel overwhelmed by that continual barrage that I mentioned earlier, the bombardment of coulds and shoulds and oughts and musts. I'm not suggesting that passive Christianity is the way forward. The church showcased in the New Testament, while not perfect, was certainly hardworking. They spent their lives and gave themselves for the gospel. But that same New Testament talks about the sense of rest, slowing down, there it is again, that is the heritage of every believer. Belief without effort is meaningless. Belief that is just about effort is exhausting. Derek Tidball is an esteemed retired college principal, theologian, author, and speaker. I was once conducting a radio interview with Derek about his recent book, and I asked him if he could distill all of that learning and reflection into one key statement that he felt was of great significance. His answer was this. He said, we spend too much time talking about what we can do for God, not enough time talking about what God has done for us in Christ, and when we do talk about what God has done, we too quickly rush to speak about what we can therefore do for him. With that insightful sentence, Derek handed me a valuable key. In my own life, and certainly in the lives of other Christians, I've noticed a sense of fidgety agitation. We never seem to be able to pray enough, give enough, serve enough, work enough. The Christian life seems to be filled with imperatives, calls to action. And discipleship, again, is a call to action but it's a call centered around the finished work of Jesus that leads to peace, the Holy Spirit who empowers us and partnership with God in what he wants to do through us, not just lots of things that we attempt for him. Today, let's know that we're not called to a treadmill, but rather to a rest, resting in God's work, his forgiveness, acceptance and love that we could never earn. And so back at that sermon, I offered the invitation. Tonight, I said, I want you to respond by doing this. Please do absolutely nothing except just sit down. That's right. If you're weary, worn out, disappointed, just do this. Sit down. Don't come forward to the platform. Don't pray or feel compelled to make any decisions. Don't do anything except just take the weight off your feet. The result was unexpected. Some hesitated, nervous that a Christian gathering could conclude without the anticipated load of imperatives, the call to work harder, serve more. But some people burst into tears as they just took their seats. Others sensed that they palpably sensed the presence of God in that moment. Perhaps it was just the relief, the knowledge that being a Christian is not just about what we do for God, but includes resting in all that God has done for us. And after the service was over, numbers of people came up to say how significant the opportunity to just do nothing had been for them. They simply sat down. What's Jesus doing right now? One biblical picture has him sitting down at the place of final accomplishment and ultimate comfort at the right hand of the Father. So today, 
If we're busy for God, thank you. So today, if you're busy for God, perhaps at the end of another Sunday, feeling rather worn out, thank you for your tireless faithfulness. I mean that sincerely. If you're hassled, frazzled, worn out and weary, take five minutes just to be with that seated Jesus and join him. Go on, take the weight off, sit down, slowing down, being seated with the Christ who has accomplished everything on our behalf and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Slowing down, it takes energy, effort. It means being present in the moment rather than always looking back or always anticipating the next thing to come. Slowing down, it can mean breaking a habit that's accumulated during a lifetime. Once again, go ahead. Let's slow down. Sit down. See you next time. Lucas on Life. 